We can do it again. No problemo. Good morning, First Covenant. I'm back in case we're making sure that our sound is working and all the technical glitches we can work out here in the first five minutes before we begin worship. So you see the community question? Hey, I can be like at The Voice where they go, vote for me. There's the question. What is your favorite season, favorite time of the year? Spring, summer, fall, winter, and tell me why. This is a way for us to connect with one another. It's another form of saying hello. We get to know a little bit about you. And we're get, this morning, before worship, uh, we get to enjoy singing some of our favorite Sunday school songs. So kids, come a little closer to the laptop or the screen that you're watching on. Sing loud. And grown-ups, enjoy these songs, because you probably sang some of them as well. I'm glad you're with us this morning. And go ahead and engage with Facebook chat and tell us your favorite season of the year and why. Hi kids, I've sure missed singing with you on Sunday morning, so we're going to try doing this from my house to your house. I hope even though you've been home a lot, that Jesus' joy and love is still bubbling out of you. Do you remember the song we usually start with? Are you ready? Squat down, get ready to bubble.
also talks to us in his word, the Bible, and he says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Boys, you want instruments? Matt, do you want any? Nope? Okay, just Paul. That's fine. Are we ready, Paul? Go ahead. Change your mind? Okay, get your instruments. Oh, maybe Grandpa wants them? Here we go. Ready, Paul? Sing with me, okay? Walking with Jesus, walking every 
remember Jesus loves you so much and so do we. Bye-bye. Good morning, First Covenant. Glad to see you here this morning, or I presume that you're there. You can see me, I can't see you, but I know you're there because many of you are commenting already. If you're wondering what the, be, the most popular answer is for what's your favorite season of the year, favorite time of the year, spring is winning. We have one answer for winter from Riley Callens, and of course we know that the correct answer is summer. Just having fun. Um, I'm Pastor Evan, glad that you're joining us today in worship. Uh, please keep messaging in the comment section uh, on Facebook, on YouTube this morning, and let us know what's your favorite time of the year. It's fun to interact that way. Um, if you want to keep up to date on things as they go on at First Covenant Church, I want to encourage you to go to our website, firstcovenantlincoln.org, uh, and go to the latest news tab. It's right there at the top. It's the second tab over. And you can find out everything that is newsworthy going on at First Covenant right now. And especially if you're not connected with our email or text updates, you can both text to that number. But if you go to the latest news page, you can scroll down a little bit. and You can actually type in your information and stay connected with us. That way we can keep you up to date on things um, as they're going on. I do want to point out, many of you are watching on Facebook today. Many of you are watching on YouTube today. We're streaming to both services right now. Um, so if you can spread the word for those that have struggled at all with the technology, uh, they're both working. Um, they, and if you're more comfortable with YouTube versus Facebook, tell people so that they know how to get on. You can always contact us. If you're a guest with us today, one of the th ways that we like to extend our hospitality is sending a Scooter's gift card to our first-time guests. So if you're our first-time guest this morning, please let us know in the comment section, or you can even message the office directly through our Facebook page and let us know, hey, I was here for the first time. I, I'd love to get that Scooter's gift card because we'd like to extend our hospitality to you. Scooter's is still open in this time. You can still get good coffee, and we want to help you do that as our way to welcome you to, for joining us today. Um, lastly, if you're on the website, uh, that is also where you can give, and I'm continually thankful for the way people are giving to the mission of First Covenant. We don't just exist for a Sunday service, um, even if that's kind of the primary thing we're doing right now, there is still ministry to be done, and we will still be doing ministry out and about. Some of our small groups and people are doing things, and we want to thank you for supporting those efforts uh, financially and otherwise in this time. Um, I, as I said, continue. Uh, commenting in the comment section as we go on, but let's join in worship together in song. Please sing with us at home. Hey, church. As we get ready to sing, I encourage you to adopt a posture of worship. It's really easy right now to just continue sitting wherever you're sitting. And if that's your most comfortable way of worshiping the Lord, that's fine. But you might choose to stand. You might choose to kneel. But Use your body as an act of worship before our holy God. Let us sing.
you pray with me? Most holy God, we come together in worship. We are people who would like to think that we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, but we know that there are so many other things in our lives that are now clamoring for our attention that sometimes we just relegate you, God, to Sundays only. Most of us really do want you to be the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We really do want to hear your voice above every other voice in our lives. We really do want to put you first. We want you to be the Holy One. But we acknowledge, Lord, that we get bogged down in our routines. We sometimes forget who we are. We forget who you are, God. And we forget what the church is really truly supposed to be. So here we are, standing before you today, seated on our couch before you today, and we recognize that we are not perfect human beings. We have short attention spans, and we ask that you would help us to recognize in these moments the presence of the holy, that we would acknowledge your holy being, we ask that you would continue to challenge us, that you would inspire us, and that you would make us the people that you want us to be. We pray as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, I want to invite the children to lean in just a little bit closer for the children's sermon this morning. And grown-ups, those of you, I'll wait for the children's sermon because I'm here right behind that sign. I know you see me. There I am. Okay, so I'm going to ask that grown-ups, how many of you have quick fingers? Because there's a prize. The Donut Fairy is going to make a visit this afternoon or after worship to the person who can fill in the blank as quickly as possible in Facebook chat. But not yet. You don't know what I'm asking you to do. But when I ask you to do this, get your fingers ready. The, number, the first one to type it will be the winner. So grown-ups are ready, fingers at the typing keys to fill in the blank so that the donut fairy comes to your house this afternoon. Kids, if you lean in a little bit closer, I've got a couple things I want to show you. The first is, tell me what you see here. What do I have? A lemon, right? Okay, so this is a lemon, and if you've never eaten one, lemons taste quite sour. Everybody make the face with me. If you were to eat a lemon, what, what, what would your face do? It would go like this. Is that the face you would make if you were, ate a lemon? Probably. I've often wondered about the first person to ever eat a lemon. If they had expe been expecting to bite into this and it tasted sweet like an orange, and then it was actually sour and they were really surprised by the taste of the lemon, what if that person said, yuck? I'm never going to eat this. No people ever should eat a lemon. And we all believed and grew up believing that lemons were bad for you and lemons were poisonous and no one ever touched lemons because the very first person to eat one led us to believe that. But instead, the very first person who ever ate a lemon probably said, ooh, this is sour, but I bet it would taste really good if we mixed it with something sweet to take, make this a tart and refreshing flavor. So that first person who ever ate a lemon had real positive ways to think about things, and they mixed the intense, sharp, sour flavor of the lemon with some sweet power, the sweet power of sugar, and what did they get? They got lemonade. And we all love to drink lemonade, don't we? Lemonade is one of the, by far one of the best examples of taking something sour and mixing it with something sweet. And you get this lovely summer drink for those of you whose favorite season is summer. And we all love lemonade. So, in fact, it's such a good example of turning, taking something icky and yucky and turning it into something good that in our world, we have a saying, if life gives you lemons, fill in the blank for the donut fairy to come to your house this afternoon. First, first two or three people get the prize, depending on how fast you are. If life gives you lemons, 
we do what? I'm waiting for that fast answer. Now this saying that we like to say, and the winner is, oh, I got to drive halfway to Adam. Sharp is the winner. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You're meeting me on Highway 2 this afternoon, Adam Sharp. Anyway, um, this saying is not a warning that you're going to be handling lemons the rest of your life. If someone hands you a lemon the rest of your life, that you should make lemonade. What it's say with the, the saying, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, what that means is it's advising you to take things that aren't very fun, that happen in your life, and turn them into something good. Turn them into something lovely. So in our Bible story today, Peter gives this kind of advice. You're not going to read anything about lemons or lemonade in the Bible, but Peter does say that when life is difficult and hard and dreadful and distressful, we have moments like that in our life. And Peter says in those moments, we should look for ways and look for ways to work things out for God's good. Now, there are going to be hard moments, difficult moments, but we can find ways to have the goodness of God be part of those difficult and hard moments. In our hearts, we're never going to have peace knowing that we're doing the right things and that God is with us unless we can get through these difficult times with God. That's when we find peace, is when we can get through hard times, difficult times with God. So what Peter says in our scripture for today, basically he's saying when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And so um, someone, Adam Sharp is number one, but I'll take number two and number three as well. And the donut fairy will visit you or maybe you'll get some nice refreshing lemonade to drink this afternoon. Um, because when life gives us lemons, we wanna make lemonade. So kids, I'm gonna ask everyone to close their eyes and we're going to pray together, and this is going to be a prayer that you repeat. I will say a line, and then I want you to say the next line out loud at your home. So close your eyes, fold your hands, and we're going to pray together. It's an, we call it an echo prayer. So you say what I say. Dear Jesus, thank you for lemons. Thank you for lemonade. When life gives me lemons, help me to make lemonade. Help me to share your love. Amen. Great to see you kids, and I look forward to when we can all be together in person. Well, greetings, church. We're going to read our scripture today, which comes from 1 Peter, as Pastor Jody just told us, chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. And I do encourage you to follow along if you have your Bible open, if you're following on version on your phone, whatever, keep the Bible open so we can follow along together this morning. Peter writes, 
Who's going to harm you if you were eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. As we begin and look at hope, the title this morning is A Reason for Hope. I want to begin uh, talking about Elvis, in fact. Um, back, the latest statistics I could find were back in 2002, but this is a, an interesting and rather astounding figure to me, that even in 2002, 25 years after Elvis Presley's death, there were still 16 million people that believed he was alive. That's crazy. That's a lot of people. I don't know what the number is today. I couldn't find current statistics for that, but I'm going to guess that there are still people alive almost 40 years later who believe that Elvis is alive. But what's just as interesting, perhaps, and I'm not an Elvis fan, so this is even more interesting and curious to me, is that there are currently 35,000 Elvis impersonators active in the United States right now. That's a lot of Elvis impersonators. Now, you might ask, what does this have to do with hope? Well, I, I can actually show you my notes here. And that might help. So if you look at Elvis, right, you can see that little word Elvis. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the New Testament Greek word for hope is elpis. And when I was taking Greek in college, trying to remember my vocabulary, for some reason I associated the two because they look and sound alike. Elvis, elpis, people hope that Elvis is alive. There you go. There's my memory device for hope in biblical Greek. But the hope that Elvis is alive is a fake hope. It's a false idea. Right? You can have that, but it's not a real thing. Peter's talking about a real hope, a living hope, he said back in chapter 1. And that's a true and worthy hope to have. And we should recognize that that's sort of the, the pinnacle, the, the master level of hope that we should have is that living hope. That's what we should have if we follow Jesus, but that's really true hope at all. We can have levels of hope that fall underneath that, and that's perfectly fine, right? I can hope that it doesn't rain today. That's okay. That's legitimate. I can hope that a concert's not canceled or something like that. That's perfectly legitimate, more real, and maybe to the point right now, I can hope that I have a job on Monday, right? That's something that, that we're tangling with. 
those hopes are normal and real and legitimate. But what we have to recognize is that a living hope, a hope in what God provides through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, is a hope that transcends all those other lesser hopes that we have in this life. Right? Those lesser hopes live underneath that. And so what I mean to say is that, and what Peter says, is a living hope in Jesus Christ is compelling. And it's compelling because it allows us to enjoy those smaller hopes. And it allows us to go through the suffering and trials of this life focused on that one living, true hope. And when lived in real life, I believe, and I think Peter is telling us, that a living hope in Jesus Christ is contagious and people actually desire a living hope that transcends all the other hopes that we can have in this life. And so I'm going to challenge you uh, this morning, and, and I don't want this to throw you off because we'll kind of piece it together as we go through, but I want to challenge you. Can you give a testimony to a living hope this morning? That's what, we're going to, that's what I'm going to challenge you with, and you can work on it now. You can even comment on it right now in Facebook if you want or on YouTube if you want. But think that through, and we'll, we'll ask it again. Can you give testimony to a living hope this morning? As we look at what Peter has said, I want to skip back to chapter 1 uh, briefly and then come back to chapter 3 because Peter does outline what a living hope looks like over and over through the letter of 1 Peter. Back in chapter 1, we could pick a couple verses. I'm actually going to pick verse 3 of chapter 1 where he brings it up first. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so the first thing I want to point out, and there's a different verse here, but you can use either one, is that a living hope has power. First uh, Peter 1, 3, 1 Peter 1, 21, either one will do to, to reference that if you're looking for something for your notes, but it has power. And it's not something that's in our own internal battery, right? We can have those daily hopes that I said, but a living hope is something that's powered by God through Jesus Christ and specifically through the resurrection, God's power of bringing Jesus back so that we have this hope that transcends this life, so that we have something better tomorrow than we have today. That's God's promise. And it has power because it's God's power that's behind it, transforming us into that living hope and living into it. The second thing is that a living hope uh, calls us to live like Jesus as the king of all, right? And you can look at 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. We'll actually look at parts of this a couple times. Just the end of verse 21, Peter's talking about baptism, the waters of baptism, likening it to Noah and the ark. He says, it, baptism, saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And if we hear this idea of Jesus as Lord, it's very pronounced in this. If you ever hear people speak that way, Jesus as Lord of my life or your life, just as a king rules his kingdom, so Jesus then rules the lives of his followers in that same way. We give our allegiance and our obedience to the king, and we live according to his rules and his ways, even when the world doesn't do that. That's what a living hope looks like. A living hope has power. It's God's power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ at work in those who follow Jesus. And, and, and then the transformation works as we recognize Jesus as King and Lord and Savior in our own lives. 
and live under his rules and his power. And the third thing I would point out then that flows from those that Peter points out is that a living hope fears God above all. And there you can see 1 Peter 3, 14, where Peter actually um, quotes from Isaiah. He says, uh, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. And then he quotes Isaiah, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. While subtly throwing that in there, the background of that passage, I think, is valuable for us to recognize here. When he speaks of Isaiah 8, it's, he's speaking of King Ahaz, is the, the cultural and historical moment that's going on, who was the king of Judah, where Jerusalem was, the southern kingdom of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz was king when Judah was at war with Syria to the north. And Ahaz was afraid. And Ahaz was not doing right in the eyes of the Lord. Despite that, God multiple times gave Ahaz the opportunity to, to be rescued. Fancy word for that is salvation. He gave him multiple opportunities for salvation, to be saved from his enemies, if he would simply turn from his ways, and he didn't. Instead of that, King Ahaz, in his fear, turned to the world superpower of Assyria and called on them to protect him. He put his hope somewhere else. And furthermore, once he did that, he stopped worshiping God completely and set up pagan idols all over, even in the temple. Why does Peter include something like this? The, the background of this would, would not be completely lost here on his audience. Ahaz put his hope in human power, not God's power. And worse, when Ahaz was offered salvation, he rejected it. That would have saved him from his trouble. He said, no way. And put his hope in human authorities and human powers, in a lesser hope. And in that case, a not legitimate hope. And so we're supposed to fear God above all. Peter then follows up this line with the beginning of verse 15. He says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Our earthly hope must live under our heavenly or living hope. In your, in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. What this means is that in times of uncertainty and stress and difficulty like Peter is writing about, that we have a higher vision when things happen in this life. So if you lose a job, our hope may be on the next job, and that's a legitimate hope to think of what's coming down the line, how do I do the interviews, all that, where do I find the next job? But our living hope is on the one who walks with us while we find the job, and while we're anxious about that. If money's running short, our hope may be on finding more money, earning more money, figuring out how to pay the bills, all that goes with that. But a living hope is actually looking to the one who gave us the money in the first place and who owns all things and sustains our souls in the midst of all this. If in this time of stay-at-home orders and being around family uh, a lot and a lot and a lot, sometimes our buttons get pushed. It's harder sometimes to be patient with some family members occasionally, and we want better outcomes in the relationships. Our hope might be to, to have those things fixed in the short term, but our living hope is to focus on the one who reconciles all things to himself, including those relationships, and works in and through those relationships. If we're facing stress, we can talk more about this next week, but if we're facing stress, our hope 
it may be in the short term on rest and relief, and that's a positive and a good thing, but our ultimate hope is on the one who's already working for our best and our salvation to relieve all the stressors that could come at the end. Peter illustrates the prioritization of our hope through baptism. Verse 21, uh, he talks about this water, when he's talking about uh, Noah, he says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. When he brings up baptism, he's signifying something very important about that prioritization of hope. In baptism, we're signifying a move from death to life. We're moving, uh, uh, signifying a short-term hope to eternal hope. That's where our focus is now. And, and Peter pushes that in that example. But this represents a clear and decisive turn from a godless hope to a God-filled hope. That's what he's talking about. A clear conscience is what it results in, and a saved soul that actually desires right action and right behavior in living in a godly way. And I don't want to pass over this uh, very too quickly, but I will say this. If you haven't been baptized and you're interested in being baptized, send a message to our office on Facebook or comment in the comment section if you're so bold. Uh, but for everybody else that's listening, you can go ahead and comment in the comment section too and say what your baptism has meant in your life as far as moving from death to life and putting your hope in the right place and living in a godly way. How does your baptism affect you. Go ahead and put it in the comments. As you are commenting on that and thinking that through, uh, speaking of baptism, there's a, a story that I really enjoy from Dr. Craig Hazen. He's a, a professor at Biola University of Apologetics, and it relates to baptism uh, very nicely, but moves us to the next thing as well. Uh, Dr. Hazen talks about speaking at a, a very secular school. He does this all the time. He's in a big uh, auditorium speaking to a group of people about what Christianity means. He was invited there with very little information. He said when he arrived um, at the event, he saw posters of himself, and it said uh, had his face with flames all around, and it said, come barbecue the Christian, and it was all revolving around hot wings and asking him uh, big uh, questions in a Q&A time. And he says he went to this session, he talked about what is Christianity, which he does all the time, and then he was ready to do about an hour's worth of Q&A with people. He even had the atheist club sitting in the front with their shirts on, uh, obviously ready and primed to ask questions, but he said when he finally got to the question and answer time, he said he's been doing this for a couple decades, and he said he's noticed the trend uh, that people don't ask very good questions anymore. The trend's been going down. He said they don't actually know the questions to ask anymore about Christianity. So it took a long time to get any useful questions. He said he even had to help guide them. And, you know, I, I think what you're trying to ask is this. Can you ask this better question? Because I think that might get to what you're going for. He had to help them ask the questions. But finally, with about 10 or 15 minutes left, he said uh, a young man raised his hand and kind of sheepishly asked a really simple question. He said, um, Dr. Hazen, uh, do you believe in baptism? And Dr. Hazen looked at him and decided to have a little fun at the moment. And he said, you know, not only do I believe in it, I've seen it done. And the whole place kind of just the walls went down at that point in that humorous moment. Everybody was, oh, okay, I get this. They, they kind of began to ask more real questions at that point, And then they had their wings. But I bring that up for two reasons. One, we talked about baptism 
but when we get to this verse where it says, verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you about your hope. Verse 15, that's the standard apologetics verse, the standard verse for a defense of your faith. And sometimes we can get to that verse if we've been around Christian circles for a long time and we're a little scared off by that passage because we think, well, I don't know what the defense of my faith would be. I don't, I'm not brushed up on the cosmological argument on uh, the existence of God or something like that. And we think, I don't know the questions that people will ask or how to answer them. I don't know what to do with that verse. But Peter says something much simpler than simply know these big high-end, high-level answers to questions people might ask. Peter says, just know your hope. Have, have an explainable, rational explanation for your hope. Have a testimony. And I think what Peter will tell us is that hope is contagious. At least that's my experience. Hope is contagious. You see, people do actually want to know the simple answer of why. They do care. They want to know what our hope is, and they want to know our hope, and it turns out that our hope is an everyday kind of hope. Yes, living hope looks to what's to come, but our hope is an everyday kind of hope of office struggles, of stress, of family life, and of finances. That's our hope. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've made that decision, I'm going to guess that it's almost surely the case that you have that hope because you witnessed a living hope in someone else. And they shared that with you. And I think that just proves the point that a living hope is actually contagious. We want it. Right? A living hope includes this life, but it transcends this life. A living hope is compelling. It, it allows us to take in and live through the smaller hopes and struggles of this life while focusing on something much bigger, on the better tomorrow that God has for us through Jesus Christ. And it's actually contagious. I think people actually want that living hope. But I want to bring us back to the original question that we asked. The challenge question is, can you give testimony to a living hope today? And for many of us, I think it's just a matter of taking 10 minutes and grabbing a napkin or a piece of paper, whatever's close at hand, and a pen or a pencil, type it into your phone, whatever it takes, and, and think through, write down, sure, your struggles that you have. Write down areas where you're thankful to God. If you struggle with kind of understanding where your living hope is, ask a friend to help you think it through. What do you talk about the most when it comes to God? when it comes to Jesus Christ. Or even, and you can do this, ask God. God, help me understand what my living hope is in you. See, we can walk in hope through the suffering and struggles of this life, but it's much better to walk through those things and walk with God, who gives power, who is Lord and King, and who gives reverent and, and have that reverent fear of Jesus Christ and actually know why. I think it, it's much easier to go at that point when we can give testimony to that. Because we can know our hope. And we can live our hope. So let's pray together as we think through those things. Lord, thank you that you are the giver of a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save us. The power of the resurrection through Jesus Christ saves us. Your work on the cross and bringing Jesus back from the dead saves us if we'll only say yes to that. And I pray, Lord, today that we say yes to that. And I pray today, Lord, that you give us a good reason for having that hope 
that we can tell ourselves first and we can reflect to others so that they can see that living hope at work in us. Thank you, God, for your continual care and goodness to us and the good days and the bad days and that you don't abandon us on the difficult times, but you walk with us towards our living hope. Lord, may that be our hope today. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Join us as we sing one more song this morning.
There's so much that's packed into 1 Peter chapter 3. So allow me to bless you and try to summarize 1 Peter 3 all at once. May Christ our Lord be at the heart of all that you do. When trials come your way, may God bless you with a knowledge of how he's at work. But when you can't see that clearly, may the Holy Spirit guide you back to the, li to the living hope that we hold in Christ. May any suffering that comes your way never be a result of your wrongdoing, for it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In all of this, may you submit to the will of God knowing that God works all things together for the ultimate good of those who love him. May your words and your deeds serve to tell the story of everything Christ has done for you in your life. May your life direct others to put their hope in Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace today and always. Amen.